to Andy McCarthy, uh, former uh, chief U.S. attorney in the Southern District of Manhattan and uh, Southern District of New York. And uh, he is uh, also a best-selling author, contributing editor at National Review, and a fellow at National Review Institute. Okay, can, be, can we just find our one point of agreement here? And I've been reading your material, and as usual, it's always insightful. And you've come to a conclusion that I so passionately agree with. If uh, Merrick Garland and Joe Biden wanted to do something to actually help the country, they ought to appoint, before the end of the day today, a special prosecutor to deal with Hunter Biden and his problems, don't you think? If it were a scrupulous uh, special counsel, Michael, that would be the best thing that could happen. And that's obviously the reason it won't happen. Um, you know, you can debate whether if, the, if he brought in a, you know, just a partisan hack, um, that would be potentially as bad as having a corrupted Justice Department do it. But one way or the other, you know, what this obviously has cried out for from the beginning of Garland's tenure in 2021 is the appointment of an unconflicted outside prosecutor to look at the Biden scandal. Are you available, Andy? <laughs> I don't think that, I actually, you know, I feel pretty strongly about this as somebody who um, cares about the Justice Department. So if it were my call, Michael, I would not pick somebody who has done um, punditry on it or, or political commentary. I think there's a, there's a lot of people who would be very capable here. And I do believe, I, I, you know, I'm from the old school where you check your politics at the door. Um, so I would, be, I would be a lot fairer to them than they would be to me. But what you really need here is somebody who the public – on both sides, and that's a that's a tall order in America today. Would accept as uh, you know somebody who was scrupulous and competent, and and would do uh, a good job without fear or favor. Uh, amen to that. It's uh, it's one of those things. And what you're describing is probably someone we've never heard of because uh, the people. I mean, there still are. Lots and lots of people working in the Justice Department, are there not, who are dedicated public servants and not political hacks on one side or the other? Oh, yeah. No, I think that's that's entirely true. I, I would say this it's because this comes up a lot. It's less true of the Justice Department than it is, for example, of the FBI, um, where I think, you know, the rank and file people are still very you know, trustworthy and believe in in the bureau as a as an institution. For the most part, the high-ranking people in the Justice Department, and even the rank and file people in the Justice Justice Department, and the um, and the big U.S. attorneys' offices around the country, they are the products of elite American law schools. Um, they're progressive in their orientation. And that's never been a problem. That's always been true going back decades. But I think during the Obama administration, um, progressive lawyers became much more uh, activist in the in the in the mold of using law enforcement power as a sort of a social justice tool. Uh, I don't want to say weapon, but I'm kind of tempted to say weapon. 
Um, and I think it's worse now than it's ever been. So the Justice Department is a very different institution today in 2023 than the than the one I left after uh, the 9-11 stuff. Which is precisely why they, they desperately need a, a special prosecutor, a special counsel uh, on on this Hunter Biden issue. Uh, I. I I was speaking uh, to to Jeremy right uh, right before you came on. Uh, do you agree with me that with the very real chance that they will find evidence that indicates that uh, Joe Biden did in fact on more than one occasion discuss business with his son when he has said so repeatedly he never ever discussed business with his son. If he is called out um, as uh, lying on something that he's repeated so often, would that be the end of his campaign for re-election? I don't think so, because we've we've known for a long time that he talked business with his son and face-to-face with his son's business partners. There are... You know, this goes back to before the 2020 election when this guy, Tony Bobolinsky, came forward, who was in who was uh, the guy who was recruited to build a sort of a corporate structure for the partnership the Bidens had with the uh, CEFC, which is an arm of the uh, the Chinese communist government. But Bobolinsky said that he had face to face meetings with Joe Biden about that transaction. We know that. Uh, Hunter Biden and Devin Archer, the partners. Yeah, your, your uh, article dinner. about Devin Archer is just devastating. It's sixty million dollars. Yeah, yeah, and the and you know Hunter didn't get uh, charged in that, but he's he's obviously in the evidence. But what I was about to say is that they had a dinner party. Uh, I want to say it was 2015. I didn't check the date before we started, but it was in Georgetown. I think it was 2015. Um, where Biden, then Vice President Biden, showed up, and it was uh, they had invited a bunch of their their business partners, including the uh, chief financial officer of Burisma, the uh, corrupt Ukrainian energy company that the allegation now is uh, bribed uh, both Joe and Hunter Biden to the tune of about ten million dollars. So. And there's a lot of photographs of Biden together with with Hunter's business partners. So I think for a long time it hasn't been remotely credible that that Biden didn't um, speak business with his son or his son's business partners. And people have just kind of put it in the same bucket with, you know, Joe Biden's long history of saying things that aren't true, many of which are just like stupid to say because they're so easily proven to be false. Uh, yeah, and it's it's one of those things. I've noticed the White House, Karine uh, Jean-Pierre, has um, begun saying not that he's never discussed business with his son. He's never been in business with his son, which is a different thing. Uh, yep. what, why do you think Jack Smith waited till now to charge President Trump uh, with these very serious charges about destroying surveillance tapes, uh, destroying evidence, really, concerning some of the classified material at Mar-a-Lago. Well, I think if he had, if he had had this 
evidence and he thought he had it locked down, he would have put it in the original indictment. There's no reason to think he wouldn't have. But I think part of the reason that he's worked hard to get that part of the case is that there's a concern in the prosecution that Judge Cannon in Florida will not look the same way at the attorney-client issue uh, as Judge Beryl Howell did in Washington. And what I'm talking about is if you look at the indictment, the obstruction part of the indictment, the most, uh, at least from the face of the indictment, the most important testimony seems to come from Trump's lawyer, uh, Evan Corcoran. And if Judge Cannon in Florida were to find that uh, she didn't agree that uh, Trump had waived his attorney-client privilege or that the crime fraud exception pierced the attorney-client privilege, they would lose that obstruction evidence, which means he needs to shore that up. Uh, Andy McCarthy, do you have a scorecard at home uh, to keep track of uh, all of the uh, various problems the president is facing, President Trump? And the the other question would be, there seems to be an emerging consensus that the potential racketeering charges uh, that could be brought in Fulton County, Georgia, by D.A. Fawny Willis, that that could be the most serious uh, of of all of uh, this multi-ring circus? Well, I, I think you really do have to have a scorecard because as you were going through um, part of the array, Michael, it occurred to me that the E. Jean Carroll Part 2 is actually January 15th. They wanted to schedule it for October, but Trump's dance court is filled with Letitia James's um, <laughs> uh, fraud complaint that is going to trial on October 3rd. So oh, we great. Have October th- yeah, we have My October birthday. 3rd. <laughs> Happy birthday. Well, thank you. Um, and, and we have uh, – so we'll have pretrial hearings in the, in the Alvin Bragg, uh, the Hush Money case in December, then the E. Jean Carroll trial. That's uh, January. That's then E. Jean Carroll, yeah. two. Two, that's right. Um, then, the, uh, then, as you said, the Bragg trial is, is March 25th, which is my anniversary. See, we, all, <laughs> we all have these personal markers that we need, the, we, need, we need to factor in here. And then I don't think they're going to be able to keep the, the uh, May date for the Mar-a-Lago case because I just think there's going to be too much – now they have not only a superseding indictment and they're adding a new defendant who has to get counsel who's clear to get classified information, um, but they have a lot of classified information issues to work through. I don't see how they're going to get that case to trial in May, but they're going to – she's apparently going to try. Uh, and, and, and then there's say, the January 6th, uh, the, the Jack Smith round two, right? Yeah, I, I I really thought that was going to be indicted yesterday. Apparently, Trump's lawyers met with Smith and other people at the Justice Department. Hopefully, um, the reason there's been delay there is because I, I really think the charges with respect to January 6th are much dicier than, I mean, well, obviously, we'll have to see the indictment when it comes, but they're, they're not nearly as strong as the Mar-a-Lago stuff, and, and hopefully... Trump's lawyers, um, you know, put a little bit of a scare in the Justice Department or backed them up a little bit because I think it would really be better if they didn't go forward with that case. But sounds like they're hell bent on doing that. And as you pointed out, Fannie Willis is supposed to indict sometime between the end of July and August 15th. I don't think that's going to be the most serious case. I really think the Mar-a-Lago case is the most 
serious case. Um, but we'll have to see what Fannie Willis has. I, I think, you know, she's obviously she's calling it racketeering. Um, but, you know, we have all kinds of racketeering. When I was in the Southern District of New York, I did racketeering cases against the mafia. Um, we had people in the civil division who did them against like uh, dental cartels. So, you know, <laughs> um, racketeering's got a um, it, it cuts a wide swath. Racketeering ain't what it used to be, right? Nah, it sure isn't. Yeah. Okay. In terms of all of this going on, the charges against uh, Hunter Biden, uh, they're, they apparently have ignored, even in the so-called sweetheart plea deal, uh, the problem that he has with FARA, the foreign agency um uh, involvement, the, the fact that yeah. he, he may have been representing a foreign government and not properly registered for it. Correct. And interestingly, it's not just Farah and potentially money laundering and, and maybe bribery conspiracy and what have you. When we were covering this on, on television a couple of days ago, Michael, somebody asked me when the thing collapsed, so what happens now? They go to trial? And my answer was, go to trial on what? Because what everybody may notice is they've never indicted Hunter Biden. Notwithstanding that for five years we've known that, you know, significant crimes, they haven't indicted him. And that's very purposeful because if you indict, the statute of limitations runs out or, or stops, rather. Uh, it stops ticking. And what they're clearly trying to do here, they're dragging their feet. They've already lost uh, – some of the most important counts connected to Burisma for 2014 and 2015. And, you know, the Biden Justice Department is going to be running the Justice Department until at least January of 2025. If they tough it out and they don't indict, there'll be no there'll be nothing to appoint a special counsel to because all the all the charges will be time for. And uh, President Biden announced today there is no chance uh, of him pardoning his son. He won't do that. Yeah. And he announced, uh, he announced yesterday that he had never talked business with his son. So, you know. <laughs> yes, we've heard that. Uh, but uh, again, uh, President Trump also uh, apparently made a commitment today that uh, when he is elected and, of course, as far as he's concerned, it's when, not if. But when he is elected, one of his first items of business is going to be to fire Jack Smith. Well, yeah, I think um, I think didn't uh, didn't the um, one of the candidates at least said that uh, his first order of business was going to be to fire uh, the FBI director. So, uh, you know, I I have a feeling I think that was Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. So, you know, I think that as long as you're going to make the two tier justice system a big issue in the campaign, we're going to hear a lot of this kind of uh, chest beating and bowing. And, and a lot of it may be serious for all I know. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, again, you would think with with some of the the really serious issues we have in the country, a rising crime rate, uh, drug uh, overdose uh a death count that that is devastating uh the economic problems still trying to get control of inflation and even with the economy doing better uh, the problem of actually winning the war in ukraine with all of that going on the fact that uh we are 
so utterly preoccupied with the uh, legal problems of uh, the president's son and uh, the former president. Uh, what's the best case scenario for all of this working out? And you only have a few moments left to answer. But well, the be- the best thing. As a tonic to what you just described is that the that we don't have a rerun of the 2020 election and, you know, both parties go in a different direction. I'm not wouldn't that be wonderful for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and it should be possible, should it not? Because not every politician in Washington is quite uh, so compromised as these uh, the the rerun to the uh, uh, President Trump or President Biden. Yeah, there's something really wrong with the political system if 70 percent of the country does not want Biden versus Trump part two. And yet that's exactly what it looks like we're going to get. And there's something really wrong with that. And you're right. And do you have a hint of what it is? What 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 is wrong? How did we get this way? You know, I remember when I was a kid that, um, you know, we had a pretty robust um, campaigns, even incumbent presidents. I can remember President Johnson was was uh, vigorously challenged in 1968 for the nomination. I think the parties had a lot more control over things. Um, and now I think you, you basically have blocks within the parties, especially the progressives and now the Trump base, where they've made it dangerous to to uh, for your political future to challenge an incumbent. So it's like a fait accompli. Uh, and Trump simply just – his base has the Republican Party so intimidated. I don't understand it for the life of me, but, of course, it's not what I do for a living. But, um, you know, they they're, they may be 30 percent of the party, the hardcore base, and yet they seem to really call the tune. It's, it's depressing. <laughs> 